ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Hello, 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 everybody. What's up? What's going on? What's good? We are checking in here on January 2nd, 2022, the first Boxing Source podcast of 2022. I am your host, James Bell, the leader of the Boxing Source on social media. You can check out all of our content through social media, through Facebook, Instagram. We got posts on Twitter and also through the YouTube channel. Um, and, you know, we got a few uh, things that we'll be talking about uh, here in this particular podcast is we're going to be going over the event that happened in Hollywood, Florida. Uh, there were a good amount of fights there at uh, Hollywood, Florida. Uh, you know, we'll talk about a few, you know, knockout victories that happened um you know a few you know probably a couple of upsets uh to uh some people uh also happen uh over in hollywood florida and um you know since you really don't have that much action in the uh, following week um you know we're going to you know kind of like go over some other news and notes uh there in the uh, sport of boxing so um pretty much going to try to get this thing down within about, you know, an hour, hour, 15 minutes or so, maybe uh, here and try to, you know, get everything uh, down pat. But uh, if y'all haven't checked it out already, uh, you could go on to, you know, our social media pages where uh, we go off of what happened last year with our uh, picks for the fighter of the year, fight of the year, upset of the year, knockout of the year, and prospect of the year. So uh, those are available there uh on our social media platform so you could uh, check that out as well but uh wanted to you know get in on what happened january 1st hollywood florida uh you had it um your fox sports pay-per-view telecast um with you know five heavyweight fights that were on there uh, but you know you also had action that was on Fox leading into uh, those bouts uh, that we had uh, at heavyweight for the uh, pay-per-view uh, telecast. So, um, you know, had a few uh, fights in there, you know, including uh, Frank Martin getting a TKO win over Romero Duno uh, in that Fox telecast uh, for him to move to 15-0. and 0. Uh, It was, you know, fairly impressive. Uh, win there by Frank Martin, you know, just, you know, like he was saying, uh, leading into the fight, uh, he did have um, some time uh, on the PBC uh, podcast there with uh, Kenneth Buhari and uh, Michael Rosenthal, uh, you know, where he talked about, 
you know, trying to be patient in the ring, you know, seeing what openings that were out there for him, not really trying to, you know, blitz uh, his opponent there like in the first round because I know, you know, Romero Duno was a former opponent for another fighter uh, there that's been talked about a lot in the lightweight division, a person by the name of Ryan Garcia. And, uh, you know, Garcia took him out pretty much in one round. Uh, but, you know, Frank Martin was saying like, hey, look, I'm not trying to be, you know, necessarily like uh, Ryan Garcia or, you know, want to you know, have this particular performance be in comparison to what Ryan Garcia did. I'm going to do what I do in the ring and whatever, you know, openings come up, I'm going to see if I can take advantage of them and then uh, see where that lies. And, you know, he was able to do that, uh, particularly in the. Uh, fourth round after, you know, Romero Duno tried to, you know, swing for the fences, so to speak, with power shots um, in the third and fourth rounds. Uh, you did have Duno kind of like catching Frank Martin a couple of times uh, there, but Frank Martin was able to stay composed and, and patient and was able to just get those knockdowns uh, that he needed to get, uh, particularly uh, off uh, counter punches. Uh, for him to get that stoppage victory in the fourth round. Uh, but, you know, wanted to get into the uh, pay-per-view telecast where you had five, five, yep, five heavyweight fights. Uh, it was pretty much like, you know, you had that pay-per-view uh, headlined by uh, the third fight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. That was all heavyweight uh you know, telecast there on that uh, joint pay-per-view with Fox and ESPN. Uh, here we had, like, uh, one here for Fox Sports with five uh, fights there at heavyweight. You know, uh, starting off with Victor Faust or Victor Verkus is, you know, what I initially said uh, there in the in the preview that's that was on uh, our YouTube channel. Uh, so Victor Faust there going up against Iago Colazde, uh you know, Victor Faust came in there with a record of 8-0 uh, against Thiago Clase, who came in there with a record of 27 wins, five losses, and one draw. And, you know, it was it was something where, you know, we kind of, I kind of like looked at it as, you know, what would Victor Faust be able to do uh, against a fighter that had the experience that Thiago Clase had, you know, against multiple um, you know, contenders there in the heavyweight division. And, you know, for the opening bout, it was a it was a slugfest right there, man. From the opening round, it was a slugfest. Oh, man, you had, you know, both of these guys going down uh, for the count uh, in the first round. Uh, you know, both of them getting caught with big shots. Uh, and I'm telling you, with it, with it, when I say it was a slugfest, it was a slugfest. They were right there in the middle of the ring and most times in, in close quarters, and they were just swinging for the fences. Uh, and, you know, it was basically who who would get caught with the biggest shot first. And, uh, you know, we had, you know, like I said, uh, you know, Verkis, uh or Victor Faust uh, be able to knock down Colossae twice uh, there in the – first round and you also had you know uh Yago Colase be able to score 
a knockdown in the first round as well. So uh, you had three knockdowns in the first round, man. And, I mean, that, that was just wild uh, there for that first round action. And then in the following round, round two, you had, you know, Victor Faust get dropped again. And, and then he was able to get up and then score a knockdown on, you know, Iago Claus. They pretty much hit him with the left hand uh, that, you know, landed pretty flush, uh, followed by a little bit of a right. But, you know, Claus, they was going down pretty much off the left hand. Uh, the referee there, you know, Samuel Burgos uh, was given Iago Claus a count. Uh, Claus, got up. Uh, he was, you know, standing up and everything. And uh, he, uh, the referee said, uh, you know, come to me, see if you can come to me, whatever it is. And, you know, Kalazde, uh was pretty much about to come to him. It was coming to him real slow. And then uh, Samuel Burgos waved the fight off, giving Victor Faust the, uh, the second round TKO victory. But yo, Yago Kalazde was bad that he that the Samuel Burgos waved off the fight. Uh he, and he was like, What's up, man? He pretty much like gave him a little bit of a push or a jab. And Samuel Burgos, he like stood up square, like, like, what what? What are you doing? And I was like, I, I saw, uh, I mean, I saw that thing live. And then in the highlight, man, it made me think about a, a, a an event that happened years ago where somebody had the famous line in social in in, in uh in uh internet lore, how could you slap? How could you slap? And that almost looked like that moment there with the referee Samuel Burgos. Uh look, he was standing square looking dead at Yago Colossae, like how you go? How you go push me? <laughs> like, what's your problem? Oh man! But uh, it is Victor Faust's ninth win of his professional career. <laughs> uh, I thought that, that. I mean, it was like a, a pretty questionable stoppage, but uh, you know, Victor Faust ends up getting that win. Uh, was a good, you know, good overall performance by him. Excuse me, though. Um. It was a good overall performance, uh, I guess, uh, therefore this time being uh, for him getting the win. But yeah, he was open to a whole lot of shots uh, there in, in this uh, particular bout. Uh, so you got, you know, one of those uh, fighters from the Ukraine uh, now, you know, building himself up. He's now uh, nine and oh, so he's now nine and oh in his professional career. And uh, hands Yago Claus they his uh, sixth uh, pro loss, and uh, that is pretty much uh, yeah, Claus day's uh, fifth loss in his like last seven fights, uh, right there. So, uh, you know, we we gotta see like how they're going to uh, build up Victor Faust uh, in in that particular instance there. So uh, that's what we got uh, there. So um, you know we. You'll know, have a little bit more here that you know, we're going to be uh, talking about in this particular fight. Uh, but uh looks like uh, I'm trying to see if I could do a couple of things here. Uh, so just uh, for a brief moment, 
we'll uh, have a little bit of a break. So we'll be right back here in a bit. All right, here we back at it, back at it. Um, and we're going to continue in here uh, with uh, this uh, pay-per-view telecast. Uh, like I said, Victor Faust was able to get the uh, second round TKO win uh, there over Iago Colase. And then uh, next up in the uh, heavyweight bouts, you had Gerald Washington against Ali Demarizan. Uh, you know, uh, of course, Joe Washington was the uh, former WBC heavyweight world title contender, uh, you know, did end up uh, falling short to Deontay Wilder, uh, thereby TKO or stoppage, uh, going up against Ali Demarizan, uh, who, you know, had his lone loss uh, there to Effie Ajagba uh, a few years back. Uh, so he only had, you know, record of 14 wins with just one loss in comparison to Gerald Washington, who, you know, had fell short to the likes of, uh, you know, uh, Deontay Wilder, uh, had another loss to uh, Gerald Miller, pretty much like right after uh, his loss to Deontay Wilder, uh, had a, you know, a, scored a big win, uh, you know, a while back uh, there when, um, you know, he pretty much like scored a stoppage win uh, there when he, took on the Nordic nightmare, Robert Hellenius. And he was able to knock out Robert Hellenius. And then after that, you know, he did go up against Charles Martin. Um, Charles Martin had a one-punch knockout loss to Charles Martin. Uh, you know, also did lose to, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I'm like pretty much, uh, you know, getting this thing in here. Uh, you know, he, you know, did have another loss in uh, his professional career where he lost by decision uh, there against uh, Adam Kalnaki or pretty much a uh, stoppage loss to Adam Kalnaki uh, there. Um, so uh, you did have, you know, him pretty much like losing. Actually, he lost every one of those fights uh, by TKO or stoppage. Uh, going into this fight against Ali Demarizan. Um, and, you know, in in these uh, first few rounds here, you know, kind of like looked uh, pretty good for uh, Gerald Washington. He was working a jab, working a jab, using, you know, his height and reach, uh, throwing a jab, throwing one-twos, uh, scoring very well against Ali Demarizan. Uh, but, you know, after about three or four rounds, you saw the, Activity from Gerald Washington go down a little bit. And with Ali Demarizan, he was just walking forward and continued to walk forward uh, towards Gerald Washington. And then, you know, after the activity of uh, Gerald Washington was going down, that's when you seen the activity for Demarizan uh, pick up. Even though, you know, it didn't look like he was doing that much at first, he was just still coming forward, still coming forward, throwing punches when he could landing punches when he could, trying to get in range. And then when he was able to get in range, then he, you know, scored and then, you know, scored some big shots on Gerald Washington, you know. Um, 
And, you know, you, you kind of like seen or heard Buddy McGirt, if you were able to watch uh, their live, like really like yelling at Gerald Washington over the course of the, of those rounds to like kind of like step it up, step it up, you know, um, and and, and kind of like say, hey, you got to be able to uh, get yourself up and active uh, out there. But, you know, Gerald Washington is uh, up there, you know, at 39 years old or something like that. Uh, but, you know, we'll kind of like get into that a little bit later uh, in this particular card about, the, about you know, uh, one's age in the heavyweight division. Uh, but Gerald Washington uh, kind of like just ran into another uh, person who just came forward and just was walking through a lot of the punches that Gerald Washington was throwing. Um, I mean, yeah, he had, you know, he has the height there, 6'6", 82-inch, uh, uh, you know, wingspan there. Um, and you saw where he was, like, throwing the jabs and, you know, when he was trying to, you know, keep distance uh, there from Demers and uh, that he was able to score well. Uh, but he didn't necessarily have any instance where he seriously hurt Demerson and because of that Demerson just walked him down pretty much just like Jarrell Miller did just like uh you know Adam Kalnacki did uh and and so that's what Demerson did uh there in in this fight against Gerald Washington and you know oh, oh, and then the last couple of rounds you just seen Demerson just you know beat up uh, Gerald Washington and Gerald Washington just seemed like he was extremely tired, you know, and, you know, with him being extremely tired, he, you know, was uh, really beat up uh, there uh, through, you know, pretty much like eight rounds. And then by the time he uh, got to the corner, uh, his trainer, the head trainer there, Betty McGirt, just said, man, I I'm not going to put you out there, you know, for you to get, you know, beat up a little bit more. So, I mean, you know, McGirt didn't even, you know, allow the referee Frank Santori Jr. to kind of like, you know, stop the bout there in that in that particular instance. Um, and so Ali Demerson scores the win. TKO, he is now 15 and one. Um, and that kind of like, you know, puts him out there to face a few of those other heavyweights that are involved in this particular card. Uh, with Joe Washington, I'm not sure, you know, what's going to happen with him. Uh, you know, he's had, uh, it's been, uh, 26 fights, um, and every loss that he's had has ended in a stoppage or a knockout. So he's pretty much been, you know, beat up, uh, there and it's been recent. I mean, he's two and five in his last seven fights, uh, with, like I said, all of those, uh, five losses by way of stoppage or knockout. So, um, I mean, we. I'm not sure what's what is going to be next there for uh, Joe Washington. Yeah, you know, he kind of like was coming in with the background of being in football and all that type of stuff, and then from football to boxing, uh, didn't you know have his uh, string of victories up to the point where he faced Deontay Wilder. But ever since then, you know, going up against these uh, higher ranked guys in the heavyweight division. He just, you know, couldn't uh, stack up uh, to, you know, facing those opponents. So uh, you kind of like would see him in the lower, what, 30s in, in the uh, heavyweight rankings or probably around uh, 40 or so. So it just depends on if, uh, you know, him and 
he talks with uh, his trainer there, uh, McGirt and whatnot. Um, if you know he's going to continue on with his professional career, uh, but uh, this is you know one victory there for Ali Demerzin, uh, and uh, it was a good job by him. So you know, big ups to Ali for for getting that win. I think he had like you know a few guys out there uh, rooting for him. Uh, to you know, get get the uh, victory. So uh, now he's kind of like moving forward, and uh, like I said, I mean, I'll, I'll like kind of like arrange what could happen uh, with the uh, fighters that won in this particular pay per view card. Uh, what could be next for them? So uh, I'll be able to arrange that here after I go through uh, the summary here. But that was the second fight of the pay per view telecast. Uh, there and then the third one the third one was uh one that i was kind of like looking forward to um it was uh johnny rice uh going up against mike coffee uh johnny rice uh you know was the uh guy that did kind of they say at the time upset mike coffee last year i was able to you know stop mike coffee last year pretty much beat him up man i mean he he, he beat him up uh was very sharp in that fight uh, it, uh leading into that fifth round tko victory uh there over mike coffee to hand mike coffee his first uh professional loss and you know going into this fight you know you know johnny rice pretty much said like hey man i mean i you know i, I see what's up with this you know i, I know that you know usually when, when it's like an immediate rematch in, in fights to this, you know, level that, you know, it's because they didn't really, you know, expect me to win that first fight. So they want to see if they could just run it back again. And, you know, Johnny Rice was like, yeah, I'm down. We can run it again. And, I mean, it was something where, you know, I kind of like was saying, okay, would be would Mike Coffee be able to uh, get himself in the gear and get back into this thing and and try to score a win over Johnny Rice or was Johnny Rice just you know going to be better? And shout out to Johnny Rice, man. You know, uh, like I said, I mean, I, I saw him you know before he was in camp uh, out there in Las Vegas over at Mayweather Gym. Um, you know, he was trying to you know get himself in the gear uh, from that point, uh, but it was uh, I guess you know not what uh a lot of folks were kind of like expecting in this particular rematch going into it uh you know if you uh went to or if you uh saw the weigh-in for this rematch uh you did have you know johnny rice coming there uh with a weight of 283 and three-fourths pounds and mike coffee coming there with a with a weight of 278 and one-fourth pounds like both of those guys came in heavier in this fight uh, than their first fight, um, you know, with uh, Johnny Rice coming in, you know, fairly significantly uh, heavier in this uh, second fight uh, there. You know, might be able to go a little bit more into that or whatnot. But, you know, who knows um, if I'm going to kind of like disclose that. But for me, in this particular fight, it was more of a difference of Johnny Rice just being more fundamentally sound, uh, you know, there in the ring. Uh, both of these guys were, 
you know, kind of like getting hit uh, fairly often, but Mike Coffey just could not move his head for anything. He could not move his head off the line. He didn't really move, you know, side to side. Uh, he didn't really gauge uh, where he was as far as, like, the spacing between him and Johnny Rice. And in a lot of the shots that he was throwing, he was missing them not just because Johnny Rice was moving his head, but because he was pretty much out of range. And so Johnny Rice was able to score whenever he could, uh, landed the right hand, the same right hand that gave Mike Coffey a lot of trouble in the first fight that led to, you know, the stoppage uh, victory uh, for Johnny Rice. Uh, and, you know, there was one point where Johnny Rice, you know, landed like three consecutive right hands on Mike Coffey because Mike Coffey just couldn't really keep his hands up and couldn't move his head off the line. Um, there was like one point, one round where Johnny Rice had, you know, staggered uh, Mike Coffey a little bit, had him to the ropes, uh, was doing some work, and then Coffey tried to get himself back into it in the, in the same round, but never really built off that particular momentum to get himself back in the fight because Johnny Rice just still had those fundamental uh, skills to where he would just be moving off the line, moving his head, kind of bobbing and weaving, not really giving uh, Mike Coffey uh, the ability to really try to land a flush on, on him. And, you know, Mike Coffey did have some instances where he went from orthodox to southpaw. And that wasn't, you know, really all too good because that still didn't throw off, uh, you know, Johnny Rice. You know, yeah, he was, you know, trying uh, catching Johnny Rice a couple of times with the left hands while he was at southpaw, but nothing to really, you know, get Johnny Rice in some serious trouble. And so, in the second half of the fight, Johnny Rice was just, you know, scoring whenever he was able to score. Uh, and around the seventh and eighth round, you know, Johnny Rice with those right hands was seriously um, connecting on Mike Coffey to where, you know, Coffey's left eye was starting to close. And then later on, it was a cut, you know, over his left eye. And so it was, you know, more of Johnny Rice just kind of like taking his time, being patient, seeing that, you know, the openings were there. He wasn't too aggressive, but he just knew that, you know, the one-two was always there for him. And so he just did that and was able to just go through those 10 rounds and score a unanimous decision victory over Mike Coffey. It was a clear victory. Two scores of 97 and 93 and one score of 99 to 91. So two scores where he won seven rounds and one score where he won nine rounds. And that is his second consecutive victory there. And, yes, he is 15 wins, six losses, and one draw. And you see that he, he was happy as shit. <laughs> yo, that's my – yo, I'll tell you, man, yo – that's our guy, dog. He was like, yo, man, I want to get thanks to Al Haven because him, I could quit my job at the Gentleman's Club. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
But yo, that was like one of the most <laughs> random, random victory speeches I've heard in a minute. But <laughs> yo, but talk to him, man. That that that's that's who he is, man. Uh, you know, he's you know been there in the heavyweight division. Uh, like I said, I mean, he's you know tried to get himself in the gear, you know, to uh to get uh there in the heavyweight ranks or the you know pretty much like the top 20 25 in heavyweight ranks but had like kind of like fell short a couple of times over the course of his uh, professional career you know uh falling short against like Tony Oka and uh you know Arsene back Makhmadov and also uh uh Dempsey McKean and Fair Jogba um you know before his two fights with Mike Coffee like he pretty much got stopped by, you know, Dempsey McKean and then had the, uh, you know, the unanimous decision loss to F.E. Jogba, where, you know, Jogba just almost nearly swept him, you know, before his fights against Mike Coffey. And they, you know, I know that, you know, Mike Coffey, uh, you know, was uh, actually he was slated to face uh, Gerald Washington, I think, uh, there. Uh, but General, Gerald Washington had to be out of that particular fight um last year you know due to COVID, so you know johnny rice came in there as a replacement opponent and he just showed up and showed out and mike coffee wasn't ready for it and uh you know it ended up just being johnny rice getting the getting that tko victory last year um and so a lot of people you know thought that was an upset because you know mike coffee had been fairly impressive uh when he was building up his undefeated record up to that point and then Johnny Rice just halted that momentum big time. And then after that, you had this rematch. And, you know, like I said, Johnny Rice, man, he was, you know, saying here, this is pretty much like his opportunity to try to get, you know, some good money uh, in some fights later on down the line. So he just said, you know what? I'm going to come in here and I'm just going to show that I'm pretty much better than Mike Coffey. And, you know, he probably, you know, if I hit him up, you know, uh, I, I would kind of like see like, yo, you know, maybe, you know, he wasn't like completely uh, into, you know, trying to cut down the weight. He said like even way back, like this was uh, a couple of months ago that, you know, we, it was kind of like a little bit tough for him to, you know, try to cut down weight, uh, that it was getting a little bit harder for him to do that. Um, but, you know. I guess here in the camp, he just, you know, kind of like worked worked on what coffee could do and kind of like counter against that. And he just, you know, fought a very, very good fight. And, you know, if it was uh, if he was like, you know, a little bit more aggressive, I guess uh, they are a little bit earlier and being able to be more active uh, that he would have probably stopped uh, Mike coffee, I think. Uh, you know, the commentators out there, you know, Brian Kenny, uh, Lennox Lewis and, and all those, um, you know, were saying like if the, if it was the same Johnny Rice uh, that they saw last year against this version of Mike Coffey, it would have been another stoppage of victory for uh, Johnny Rice there. So um, big ups to Johnny Rice. Uh, you know, he has his uh, second victory against Mike Coffey. I guess that will set him up for uh, something down the line in the heavyweight division uh, later in 2022. Uh, before I get into uh, more in this uh, 
uh, pay-per-view telecasts want to bring in our guests, one of our guests here, a long time, uh, you know, contributed to the Boxing Source. This is the Boxing Academic. The Boxing Academic in the building. Hey, what's going on, James? How you doing, man? Oh, yeah, what's happening? Not much, not much. Just uh, joining in on the show. I um, heard you talking about the um, Michael Coffey, I forgot the other dude name, fight. Johnny um, Rice. Johnny Rice. What was the outcome of that fight? Johnny Rice had a clear victory, man. Um, okay, but a decision, a unanimous yeah, decision. decision victory. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it, it, the fight was boring as compared to the last fight. It was kind of, kind of stale to me. So I think I like kind of, I wasn't mentally like in the fight at, at, you know, like compared to the first one. The first one was like, it, it was a, you know a fight that you wanted to see. And part of the reason why I guess I wasn't into it is because Johnny Rice, to me, you could tell he wasn't as prepared for the fight as he was last time. And or at least um, Michael Coffey was not as prepared. Maybe he was more prepared, which which didn't let him, you know, fall or, or get hit by the same kind of shots. But I feel like Johnny Rice's output wasn't the same in terms of like his slickness and stuff like that. Don't get me wrong. You could tell that he had the higher boxing IQ. But, you know, with his weight, with, with other things in terms of the fight, with Michael Coffey's motivation to not get like knocked out, um, it, it 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 was just an okay fight as compared to the first fight. But I mean, definitely he he won the fight. Johnny Rice won the fight pretty easily, and I mean you could tell like just the difference in skill. One person I would imagine has been boxing most of their life versus the other person probably start boxing later in their life. And if they did start boxing around the same time, it just goes to show the coaching. But I would imagine that Johnny Rice has been around boxing a lot longer than Michael Coffey. Yeah. I mean, you know, from an experience standpoint, um, yeah, from an experience standpoint, you know, um, Johnny Rice had, you know, more professional bouts, 22 to, you know, uh, you know, twelve or uh, twenty-two to like thirteen or fourteen, uh, there, and you know, probably had a little bit of, uh, you know, he had like a little bit of an amateur background too, you know, but, um, uh, but with uh, Mike Coffey, Mike Coffey was, uh, you know, uh, in in the armed forces, uh, so he, you know, kind of like, um, you know, had that stint there in the armed forces. Uh, there before, you know, getting getting himself into, you know, the ring. Uh, they pretty much are around the same age. Uh, Coffee is uh, thirty five, and and uh, Johnny is thirty four. But you know, like I said, with uh, Johnny kind of like having more experience in the ring, uh, there, you know, like like I was saying, he had fights against the likes of uh, F.A. Jogba, um, and uh, Tony Yoka, you know. Um, and, and a few other uh, heavyweights there uh, before going up against Mike Coffey the first time. Uh, it was like, you know, Mike Coffey was thrown off in that first fight, that, you know, we were talking about uh, as, uh, you know, Coffey was supposed to fight Gerald Washington at first, but then, you know, ended up fighting 
a Johnny Rice as a, as a replacement. And, yeah, he was just not completely prepared for that, I think, you know, in that first instance. Uh, but, you know, in that second fight, um, I, I was mentioning that, you know, back in November, you know, running into Johnny Rice, he, you know, he was doing some, uh, you know, a little bit of sparring sessions uh, out there in Vegas uh, there against, uh, you know, a couple uh, cruiserweight out there. Um, you know, y'all could, you know, go back on the, y'all could go on the YouTube channel and go in the archives and you can see that, you know, our, you know, brief one-on-one uh, -on -one there with Johnny Rice, you know, before he was getting completely uh, prepared for uh, his rematch against Mike Coffey. It was just more of like him, you know, kind of like scouting Mike Coffey and, you know, what Mike Coffey could do. And he was, like uh, you said there, uh, TB8, that he was just more fundamentally sound uh, than Mike Coffey was. You know, like a lot of times he was, you know, seeing the punches coming from Mike Coffey, moving his head a lot. Even when even when uh, Mike Coffey wasn't throwing punches, you could see Johnny Rice moving his head, trying to, you know, give Mike Coffey different looks and, you know, there were like a lot of times when Mike Coffey was just standing right there, not throwing anything because either he didn't know if he was going to land or he didn't know if Johnny Rice was going to throw something back, you know. And, you know, Johnny Rice over the course of that fight, he was just mixing things up, not just with the one, two, but he was also coming in there with the left hook, landing with the left hook, uh, throwing a couple uh, punches to the body and stuff like that. And, any time where it might have seemed like Johnny Rice could have been in some trouble, like he was able to get through it because, you know, even when uh, Coffee was pressing the action at one point, it was just for like 30 seconds. And then after that, it just seemed like, you know, my coffee was absolutely spent. So uh, Johnny Rice just, you know, pretty much fought a very good tactical fight in this uh, rematch and was able to get the win there, man. Yeah, but you gotta. I, I had to give it to Coffee because I could definitely see his his will. Um, he was tired, but you could see that he was trying to overcome his will. And, and like even when he would exert himself in, in spurts, which I would imagine, you know, one has to train like has to train to sort of do like sprinting and then recover, and then do a sprint, then recover and do a sprint and recover. But to do that in terms of boxing. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying he does that, but, um, at least, you know, I had to give him credit for his will trying to like, you know, overcome fatigue. Yeah. There were a couple of times where, yeah, he was trying to, you know, do things in order to overcome it and see if he get, uh, get himself back into it. But, you know, for me, I mean, it, it just wasn't enough. I think, you know, with Johnny Rice being more defensively sound in, in this uh, instance, he just kind of, you know, got himself, uh, you know, in a point where he was just not in that much trouble. And he just, you know, cool, cooled himself down and was just able to just get through whatever uh, coffee was doing. And he just went back to what he was doing, just trying to be at a distance, you know, coming towards. My coffee, then just whenever he had an opening, throw a jab and then throw a right hand if he could. And then in the later rounds, he was just, you know, being much more uh, accurate with his punches. It was just that 
you know, he just, you know, kind of like use his energy in spots where he could use it at. He just didn't overexert himself. He didn't overspend himself to where he would be just flat out exhausted, uh, you know, in comparison to what happened with Gerald Washington in the previous fight. So um, it was just a you know, good, good uh, bout there. Good performance by, uh, you know, Johnny Rice. And, you know, like he said, man, he said, thanks to Al Heyman that he could quit his job at the Gentleman's Club. <laughs> <laughs> what was he doing at the gentleman club? He was a bouncer or he was yeah, something else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like okay. Bouncer security, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he lucky he could be a bouncer. He he pretty big. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah. So Do you know what the Gerald man. Washington fight reminded me of? What, 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 what it reminded you? Not necessarily the fight, but you know how Gerald Washington, you could sort of tell within the first round or two that he was gone fatigue or was fatiguing pretty quickly. And then sort of how he like sort of wails his body flails flails i don't know the correct word but flails his body and and he looks like really uh like like his legs sort of look under him but they don't and then his arms just sort of like look like one of them little things where the air be in the bottom and then the arms just be kind of like flowing like that like when they be trying to tell you to come by um um dominoes or something pizza <laughs> but it reminded me of Deontay Wilder and how he looked in his fight and actually the last couple fights with with um with um Gerald Miller Tyson Fury, excuse me. Oh. Like oh, like how Tyson Fury. Yeah, yeah, like how he sort of looked like he he was kind of dead to rights, you know, and and was just sort of like he was going through the fight and going through the motion, but his body looked like it was just so like he was filling his arms and just it just it didn't look right. It just looked like he was uh, kind of like a dead man walking. Yeah, with swelling arms. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, Washington was just absolutely spent. Um, you know, after about you know round three, round four, and it was just Demarison just you know coming forward and coming forward. And even with uh, there were like a couple of instances where, you know, Demarison was getting caught with like some right hands or an uppercut or something like that. But it was nothing that completely shifted the fight over to where uh, Washington could try to take advantage of that. Um, and over the course of that fight, you kind of like seen uh, the commentators there, um, you know, uh, Joe Goosen and, and uh, Lennox Lewis and. And, uh, you know, Brian Kenny, you know, they were kind of like saying with, with, with Gerald Washington, yeah, I know that you are doing well with uh, throwing the jab and then trying to follow the jab with the right hand. But, you know, you got to be more aggressive with that and try to come forward. Because if you got somebody in Demerison that's looking to just try to come forward and come forward, that's probably just what they're used to doing. So if you can, try to see if you can have them on the back foot. Because sometimes, those people that come forward don't really know how to fight off their back foot, especially if you're going up against somebody that has a, a, a clear, you know, reach disadvantage to you. Like you, you don't have to really worry about them trying to counter you unless if you get in too close. So just try to step forward, get them, you know, to back up. And then when they back up to the ropes, just, you know, take your time, be patient and just try to break them down. But 
Gerald Washington wasn't able to do that, you know, in, in his, uh, you know, particular uh, state. So he just ended up getting broken down and stopped. You know, and, that, that, and that's, uh, you know, how that, you know, came down there. So uh, what I did, I, you know, broke down like three, three of the five fights. Uh, there was, you know, another fight before the main event. And uh, it was it was Frank Sanchez against Christian Hammer. Christian Hammer came in as a replacement opponent uh, there for Carlos Negron, who you know tested uh, positive for uh, COVID or whatever it was. And it was Frank Sanchez, you know, coming off his uh, victory or clear victory over F.A. Jogba uh, in November of last year, and. You know, I guess, uh, you know, a good amount of people were kind of like thinking that, you know, that Frank Sanchez could, you know, blow right by Christian Hammer. Uh, but Christian Hammer, you know, ended up being the, one of those difficult opponents to try to take out. You know, uh, you know, Hammer is, you know, a few losses in his pro career, but, uh, you know, in, in some instances, you know, he was able to get through a lot of those bouts uh you know only by decision like you know in in uh eight losses before this particular bout you know it was only like four of those losses that ended by knockout so um you know guys like tony yoka and and luis ortiz and alexander pavekin weren't able to stop uh you know uh christian hammer but you know christian hammer came in as a replacement opponent he had like his last fight against uh Huey fury a few months ago where he had to, you know, bow out after about a few rounds due to, you know, hurting his arm. Uh, so, you know, uh, leading into this fight, I didn't even know if he was going to, you know, still be in a good, uh, a good enough condition to, you know, really get in a good amount of rounds in. But uh, Frank Sanchez, you know, he, you know, looked, I guess, pretty good, but not really that good enough, especially when, you know, you have a very impressive win over Afed Jogba. Uh, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, him being part of the Canelo team. Uh, his trainer, head trainer there, Eddie Reynoso. Uh, Canelo Alvarez is, you know, there in attendance over in uh, Hollywood, Florida. You know, so, um, but he just went through about 10 rounds and scored a clean sweep uh, there over Christian Hammer. Uh, but <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny that, um, you know, Goosen had rated Frank Sanchez as one of the top 10 heavyweights in his rankings. And uh, you, you, if you're going to be like a top 10 fighter, you got to be able to go up against these guys like Christian Hammer and really be impressive against the Christian Hammer to kind of like say, hey, maybe I could really contend against these guys that are you know, above me there in the heavyweight division. But, man, it, it just looked like an absolute uh, snooze fest for a good amount of fans that probably were watching. Um, I do know a couple that they admitted that they ended up falling asleep watching the Frank Sanchez-Christian Hammer fight. <laughs> so, so that uh, – so – Going coming off this win over Effie Jogba and then having this performance against Christian Hammer, I, I'm not sure if that was you know necessarily a good look uh, there for um, 
Frank Sanchez Farre, uh, as his uh, extended name is. But uh, I guess this was a um, sometimes people like knock uh, boxers uh, hailing from Cuba um, because of them getting into these type of situations. Uh, but I mean, it is what it is, I guess, with Frank Sanchez. So uh, he does get that win. Uh, he is still undefeated uh, there in his pro career uh, now with 20 uh, professional wins. So uh, Frank Sanchez uh, there, I guess he's going to see what they're going to position him at uh, there in the heavyweight division. I might have uh, potential fights for him next, uh, but we'll, we'll see how that goes uh, there for him. Uh, any quick comments on this one before we go into the main event? Yeah, it was pretty, pretty lackluster. It was pretty, pretty boring. I, I don't want to put a soundbite to say that you know the Cuban fighting style is kind of, you know, defensive-minded or whatever you want to call it. But his particular fighting style, yeah, it's kind of, uh he definitely would need someone who who knew how to move and knew how to cut him off and you know through he he need like the matador style mm. heavyweight who 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 isn't like plotting and stuff otherwise his fight's going to all look like that you know where he backing up controlling the shots not getting hit which i mean it'll help you win the fight but yes yeah, it was kind of kind of boring yeah um you know we do get that a few you know a few instances uh with the likes of um you know like a guillermo rigandau you know people kind of like say that about him um people you know say that about erslan de lara um uh in some cases they do say that about you know luis ortiz um but you know we'll go into that uh here in a little bit with ortiz but you know overall a lot of the fighters that do hail from Cuba, um, you know, kind of like have that particular style where they prefer defense over offense. Um, you know, you kind of like do see that in, in a sense with um, the WBA welterweight champion there, your Dennis Ugas. Um, but, you know, he, he has like a little bit of a style where he could kind of like step it up a little bit and, you know, really land some good shots and really hurt his opponents in, in some cases. Uh, but here with Frank Sanchez, man, um, yeah, he just, you know, didn't necessarily uh, really impress anyone uh, here with this particular performance against a Christian Hammer who came in in like 10 days notice, you know. And so he just came in there, got a, got a check and didn't get himself knocked out. So I guess, uh, you know, shout out to Christian Hammer. He didn't get himself knocked out. Uh, but in the flip side, when you have someone like Frank Sanchez, who, you know, has those uh, wins that he has under his belt and, you know, being in appearances, uh, high profile appearances in, in a few cases that you got to be able to, you know, really impress uh, folks, especially when you're in the heavyweight division where, you know, people kind of like expect knockouts to happen uh, in, in a sense. Uh, so. You know, we, we'll see here what happens with Frank Sanchez. Uh, might have a couple of suggestions for him uh, as far as, like, potential opponents, but, you know, that'll be here in a little bit. Uh, Want to get into the main event of the evening. Luis King Kong Ortiz versus Prince Charles Martin. 
uh, you know, head of them in the IBF. This is like an IBF uh, eliminator type bout. Um, you know, Ortiz came in there with a record of 32 wins and two losses. Those two losses to Deontay Wilder. Uh, Charles Martin came in there with a record of 28 wins, two losses, and one draw. You know, lost to Anthony Joshua, lost to Adam Kalnaki. Um, you know, had a uh, you know fairly impressive uh, knockout win over Gerald Washington uh, last year, and you know he was there under the tutelage of a former trainer for Andy Ruiz Jr. There, Manny Robles, um, and you know in this in this instance, you know you kind of like seen um, you know two guys there at Southpaw. Um, so you had the lefty versus the lefty. Um, you know, Luis Ortiz, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, his age there uh, at around 42. Uh, there as a heavyweight uh, going up against Charles Martin. Um, and, you know, first round, it was, you know, pretty much like a thing about, okay, who, who would be able to land first and who, who would be able to, you know, kind of like be aggressive. Uh, Ortiz was you know, a little bit aggressive. He was kind of like trying to get uh, Martin's timing off, throwing feints. Uh, throwing punches uh, at different times, but you could see that he was getting caught a lot. And, you know, um, Charles Martin was able to land, uh, you know, a good punch to put Ortiz down in the first round. Um, and, and for me, you know, Charles Martin just looked like he was, you know, really patient in trying to see what Ortiz was doing and was landing fairly well against Luis Ortiz. Uh, in, in this uh, particular bout. And, you know, I, I didn't really see um, the thing for uh, Luis Ortiz looking all that type of good uh, there against Charles Martin. Um, you kind of like seeing his legs not really be under him that much. Uh, in a few occasions, uh, there like the second and third round, um, and then in the fourth round, pretty much near the end of that fourth round, Luis Ortiz goes down again, and he goes down with a, from a right jab. I was like, yo, pretty much got caught coming forward, right jab, boom, and, and he goes down the canvas. And it, it just didn't <laughs> – at first it just didn't look all too well uh, for Luis Ortiz uh, going into, you know, the fifth and sixth rounds. And then the sixth round happened, and Luis Ortiz, you know, just had one instance where he was coming forward. He, like, kind of, like, went like he was throwing a right jab, and then he caught Charles Martin with the left, and it was like a repeat of Alicia Baumgartner versus Terry Harper. And, man, Charles Martin looked like he was out in space, man. He was looking at like to whatever role was out there at the, the hard, at the Seminole Hard Rock Casino, and he just stood right there like like he was just done. And I was surprised that the referee uh, there uh, didn't necessarily stop the bout at that point. Uh, but you know, Luis Ortiz just came in there, blitzed him, uh, was landing a few shots, was just throwing and throwing and throwing. Uh, did you know have uh Martin off balance 
And then when Martin finally went down to the canvas, he like went down on one knee and ended up having his arm tied up in the ropes like some WWE stuff. Uh, and then the you know the referee was counting, um, and he and I get I guess Charles Martin kind of like thought that um, you know when he was going down that Luis Ortiz was hitting him, uh, and so when he did get up. And while the referee was counting, it was like, you know, Charles Martin uh, was complaining to the referee because he I guess he thought that, you know, he was fouled. Uh, but, you know, fight kept going. And Luis Ortiz just, you know, went forward and just tried to, you know, was blitzing uh, Charles Martin. I, you know, I, I didn't really see like about two or three. Uh, punches that really landed flush on Charles Martin, but he was just still out of sorts from that initial left hand. And Ortiz went down to the body, came up upstairs and a couple times, and then, you know, went down, and then uh, Martin went down to the canvas again out there in round six. And then, uh, you know, he did get up, uh, but, you know, the uh, referee Frank Santori Jr. ended up stopping the bout uh, they're giving Luis Ortiz the TKO win. Uh, and Charles Martin was upset. Uh, he was like, yo, man, you got the win, but that was bullshit. And <laughs> Luis Ortiz is Cuban. <laughs> and uh, he's spitting his initial language. But he knew the word bullshit. <laughs> and he was like, bullshit? And he pushed Charles Martin. I was like, oh, come on, man. What's going on? This is, this is some wild stuff, say. But everybody cooled off. And, uh, you know, all, all things were good. But, you know, it just ends up being a TKO win there for Luis Ortiz. Uh, they're in the IBF eliminator bout. And, man, I, I just felt like Luis Ortiz just got bailed out in that one because – for me, Charles Martin was just beating them, beating them to the punch a lot. Uh, you know, there was just not um, much punch resistance uh, there from Luis Ortiz. Actually, you know what? Speaking of that, this reminds me of the first bout that happened between Dylan White and Alexander Povetkin, where Dylan White was landing on Alexander Povetkin. Dylan White knocked down Alexander Povetkin twice in punches where it was just like Povetkin just went down from, you know, either a jab or like a, you know, a short uppercut, you know, in, in that particular fight before he was able to land that shot that knocked Dylan White completely out. And here, this was just another instance of where, you know, Luis Ortiz at his level of where he's at in his career, his legs just aren't there. But as long as he was able to just still get up and he still had a power shot there in the head, and when you're in the heavyweight division, as long as you have your power hand, you still have a shot, you know, in, in these fights. And that's pretty much what got him through this particular bout was that he really didn't get hit flush in either one of those shots that knocked him down to the canvas. Uh, and so, you know, in this instance, he was able to come back, land a big shot on Charles Martin that really just knocked the sonic rings off of him or something. 
and you know Luis Ortiz is able to get the win. Uh, boxing academic, what you what you think of this one? I mean, it was definitely probably outside of that fight where it was a five knockdowns, probably one of the best fights on the card, just out of the you know because of the the magnitude of what the fight represented for each for each fighter. Um, I know Charles Martin is just like, dang man, I had this guy, and then he hit me with a punch, and he sent me to another dimension, and then when I came back to the to the other dimension, I was like, that's some bullshit. Like, cause let me tell you what happened. He hit him, and then he went into that other dimension where he was looking off into like oblivion, and then when he came, actually came back to, he was like, his hands was on the rope. And then, you know, he just, he just, he re vaguely remembered that Luis Ortiz was throwing punches. So he was like, he was like, how the fuck did I end up here? You know, and he was just like, that's some bullshit because he literally, he didn't um, register all the other punches that was being landed on him. The only thing he registered was his hands being locked up in the ropes and then him realizing that Luis Ortiz had threw punches before that. And so, I mean, it's a few things that you can say about this fight. When a fighter fights Deontay Wilder, their punch resistance is never the same. That's exactly what we're seeing. I mean, also part of that could be Luis Ortiz's age, but I would I would say had Luis Ortiz not fought Deontay Wilder two times in a row, yes, his legs would still be weak, but then his punch resistance would, would just be a little bit higher than what it is because, like, you could tell he's an old man. Like, okay, 42, 43, eh, maybe. But, yeah, I'm beginning to believe he might be a little bit older. But um, <laughs> the punch resistance, man, it's never the same when you fight Deontay Wilder. And and what's going to happen is he needs to fight one of these big guns because if he fight another Charles Martin or something like that, they're going to hit him with a shot. And, and you know, he's not going to be able to stand up to it. Like, Unless it whatever happens where where the same type of fight happened where he land his shots first, but if you good enough to like stay away from it and keep moving and use your feet and stuff and you got pretty good good movement and you just don't let him like hit you, I think you can beat this version of Luis Ortiz. You know, with with diminished punch resistance. You know, it, it sucks for Charles Martin because you could tell he was definitely better. Still, he's deficient in, in areas, but in terms of where he was and where he at now, he's definitely a better fighter. You know, he's a better fighter from from how he was. Um, and I would question how the fight would go, who the next fight would, between him and Joshua would go. He'd lose, but I think he would give a better showing. And maybe even, you know, push Joshua. Because, you know, Joshua, as... Teddy Atlas said he's too comfortable with, with being beat. Like, he's too gracious in being beat. Like, he don't see the defeat and be like, I'm going to go out on my shield. He sees it and he just bows down graciously and accepts it. He accepts the defeat. That's, that's a bad sign. You know, it's a bad sign. But a good fight overall. Um... Where do they go from here? I mean, if I was Charles Martin, I would ask for the rematch. If I was Luis Ortiz, I would stay away from Charles Martin. I would ask for the bigger fights, get me a belt. That was IBF Eliminator. I would ask for my title fight against um, the winner of Joshua 
and Usyk. I wouldn't want to fight Usyk because Usyk could could box Luis Ortiz and and you know stay away from him for twelve rounds, and he has the endurance to to do that to do that. You know, um, Joshua I, I, endurance is getting better, but the fact that his endurance isn't great. You know that could affect him as well, and the fact that he don't move his head, I could see Luis Ortiz landing something. But Joshua would probably land some on him first, which again the punch resistance is gone. Obviously Tyson Fury, none of these guys can touch Tyson Fury. The only way somebody beats Tyson Fury is if Usyk outpoints him, and that would just be Tyson Fury. The thing with Anthony Joshua, Anthony Joshua should have used his weight and leaned on Usyk. He should have bullied Usyk. Even if he did, you know, catch a few shots. And I'm, I feel confident that Tyson Fury understands now, going with the crunk gym, that the style he has against uh, Deontay Wilder is a style that probably could beat anybody in the heavyweight division. Lean on people, you know, put your weight on them slip move counter but but putting your weight on them and, and making them you know feel your 300 pounds i don't think too many people can stand up to that yeah punch resistance gone luis ortiz you used to call him the myth of luis ortiz it's a he, he become immortal now because that punch resistance and then them legs it ain't gonna be good for him in the future yeah, yeah, it won't be uh, that good for him, man. Um, and you know, uh, as far as like what's next for Luis Ortiz, um, you know, it is in a sense an IBF eliminator. Uh, before the fight, you know, Ortiz was ranked number ten in the IBF. Charles Martin was rated number two in the IBF. Um, I don't know if it was you know slated as a final eliminator. Uh, there were reports uh, after the fight, uh, you know, shout out to uh, Jake Donovan. I think uh, Jake Donovan had mentioned that um, that it could have, you know, ended up being a uh, final eliminator. But uh thing about it is, is like, um, I don't see how that how that's the you know, how that's the case. You know, when, um, you know, you didn't have a, you know, number one contender there for the IBF, you know, um, you know, uh, and the thing about it is, is like, you still have someone in, um, uh, what is it, uh, Philip Hergovich, uh, that's ranked number three in the IBF. So are they going to have, you know, maybe Luis Ortiz and Philip Hergovich be those top two contenders? They're in the IBF, then maybe they could have a fight uh, there set up between those two, or maybe not. That might be a little bit difficult. Uh, but, you know, like you were saying there, you know, maybe, uh, you know, Ortiz could try to push for trying to get a, a world title shot in his next fight because, you know, his punch resistance is just pretty much out, is out of there. And you will want to see if you can have the biggest fight possible. Uh, here because if he ends up losing his next fight, you know, given that it's Luis Ortiz, you're not really going to, 
you know, have that much interest in seeing Luis Ortiz fight unless it fits, you know, a, a fight where it's, uh, you know, a lot on the line. And this particular uh, win against Charles Martin, it could be debated that this is this could be the biggest win that he's had in his professional career. You know, um, a lot of people, you know, kind of like bring up uh, his win over uh, Bryant Jennings and whatnot uh, many years ago as probably his most uh, significant win up to this particular point. Uh, but, you know, getting a victory over uh, Charles Martin, uh, that might end up being uh, what his uh, could have been his highest ranked win up to this point. But, you know, that's, you know, up for debate. But, yeah, as far as, like, potential opponents, therefore, uh, Luis Ortiz next, um, unless if it's Philip Pergovich in the IBF Final Eliminator, I don't know what else could be out there for Ortiz unless if from some way that he could end up fighting uh, the winner of uh, Alexander Usyk, Anthony Joshua rematch uh, out there, but uh, yeah, as far as like him in a potential rematch against Charles Martin, he probably wouldn't want that. Uh, you know, I kind of didn't mention uh, one other name out there in the heavyweight division uh, that has a fairly high ranking uh, in Joe Joyce. He wouldn't. I don't think you would want to fight Joe Joyce at this particular point. Um, you know, maybe there could be a couple of other fighters out there. Maybe a Joseph Parker uh, he could potentially face. Uh, maybe an Andy Ruiz Jr. Uh, would be something uh, for him to kind of like fight. That could be uh, a high stakes um, fight in the heavyweight division. Um, so I think those would probably be his his uh, top options is either a fight against Philip Hergovich in the IBF Final Eliminator or uh, maybe a fight against Andy Ruiz Jr. If, you know, Ruiz still has a little bit more time before uh, he recovers and gets himself uh, in good enough condition to get back in the ring. So uh, those are like the potential things there for Luis Ortiz. As for Charles Martin, man, I don't know. Um, if he don't get that rematch with Luis Ortiz, if he feels like, hey, I was doing very well up to that particular point, I could be, you know, fairly confident that if I get another, you know, chance against Luis Ortiz, I could win and maybe he could get that rematch. But outside of that, um, maybe there's, you know, fights that he could have against uh, maybe a Robert Hellenius or, you know, uh, that winner of the co-feature about Frank Sanchez, uh, maybe there for Charles Martin. But uh, that like kind of like sums up everything uh, there in that. Uh, heavyweight pay-per-view card uh, that was in uh, Hollywood, Florida, man. Um, so I do have else? some on on uh, Charles Martin. All right. <clears throat> so the, when he got hit, I feel like you can give him praise when his circuit it wasn't even short circuit; it was like open circuit. Because short circuit means you go down and and you know it's just like. He's getting zapped and stuff. It's an open circuit. You just like, you just there. I feel like he got open circuited. But when he got open circuited, a lot of people would fall in that instant. But he took the shot and he took two more shots while standing. So what I'm saying is the man got a chin per se, like a chin physically. But in terms of him probably being concussed or whatever, yeah, he, he was definitely open circuit. But what I'm saying, he didn't fall and he took some shots. 
So I have to give him praise in, in his ability to, to take, you know, some heavy shots, even when he was out of it. And then, like, for him to get up, yeah, he was wobbly and, you know, I can't argue with the stoppage. Uh, you could tell he wasn't there. His 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 balance wasn't on him. Luis Ortiz, the only thing that would have stopped Luis Ortiz is fatigue. And I think he could have pulled, pulled together a few more shots, you know, to go and get him out of there. But I'm just giving praise for being able to take shots. Yeah, I mean, that was something where, like I said, man, it was similar to the thing for uh, Baumgartner versus Terry Harper. And in that particular instance, like the referee stepped in and stopped that bite, you know, stopped that bout on that instant before, you know, Baumgartner could do anything else. So, you know, in, in this particular fight, like, yeah, Charles Martin could have seriously been hurt, seriously been hurt in that instance. But, you know, he was able to, you know, still have, uh, the ability to just, you know, get through that initial uh, barrage after that left hand. And, yeah, he didn't end up getting tied up like, you know, Bret Hart in the WWE, but, you know, still it was like, yo, it could have been uh, ended up a lot worse. Um, on, on the thing that I was saying there from uh, Jake Donovan, uh, he, he did uh, initially, you know, report like that it could have been a final eliminator, but it was not. It was like a semifinal eliminator there in the IBF. So uh, you could have Philip Hergovich uh, there against uh, Luis Ortiz uh, in the IBF final eliminator. Um, and, you know, he, he did, uh, Jake Donovan did say, like, you know, that's something that Philip Hergovich would really, you know, pursue. I, I know that Hergovich uh, had like a fight last month that was pretty much like a, a walkthrough. Uh, there, but uh, you know he he kind of like sees like hey you know he would really want to see if he could face uh, Luis Ortiz uh, there in the IBF final eliminator. But you know it, it just remains to be seen if they're gonna you know be able to set up that fight. Um, you know outside of that, you know going through that whole card, you know we you know kind of like got a little bit out of uh, a lot of those uh, fights there. Uh, Johnny Rice might get set up to fight uh, one of those uh, higher-ranked contenders there in the heavyweight division later on down the line. Be interested to see how that would go for him. Uh, but, you know, he he might have to, you know, get himself in a, in a gear before uh, he gets set up into uh, one of those particular fights. Um, but, you know, outside of that, you really don't have that much action uh, coming up uh, here next week. Uh, the... Uh, schedule pretty much like is uh, focused towards uh, January 15th. Uh, you do have Joe Smith Jr. against Callum Johnson. He is defending the WBO light heavyweight title uh, there in that particular fight. You do also have Tony Yoka in a bout against Martin Bacoli in the heavyweight division uh, there. But, you know, outside of that, you know, not that much action there. Uh, you do have a good amount of action on the 22nd that we'll, you know, kind of like get into a little bit later. Um, only uh, thing here that I wanted to get into before uh, rolling out is uh, the news there in the WBC. Um, you know, kind of like been following the situation over the course of the week uh, in the heavyweight division. Uh, you do have the WBC champion Tyson Fury. You do have the interim champion Dylan White. Dylan White is the uh, you know interim champion and it's a mandatory challenger. Uh, the WBC did like kind of order that 
Tyson Fury and Dylan White, the teams for both of those fighters go into negotiations and that a purse bid is scheduled for January 11th. Um, but they did say like the purse split um, should be around 80% to 20% into favor of Tyson Fury, um, you know, which a, a few people found like fairly interesting uh, given the status of Tyson Fury, I guess. Uh, I guess the fight that he's had against Deontay Wilder were a contributing factor to that. Uh, and there's been like, you know, some discussion around boxing circles about why would it be an 80-20 split uh, there when, you know, usually, especially when it comes to purse bid, that the split is usually 55%, 45%. Uh, but, you know, when Dylan White had only fought in, like, you know, in in a backyard of uh, Eddie Hearn's uh, house and, you know, fighting at the Rock of Gibraltar, uh, you know, last year and not being able to fight, not fighting out of Walling. He should have fought out of Walling. Uh, like, he hasn't really had, you know, many fights where there's been a crowd. So the last fight he had before those two was in the undercard of uh, Joshua Ruiz 2. And the main events that he's had in uh, the O2 Arena for the last four, the previous four fights, those were like years ago. So from that point until now, Tyson Fury has fought Deontay Wilder twice, you know? So <laughs> you can't necessarily say that Dylan White could ask for, you know, a certain amount of money when he hasn't been able to pull the crowds that could warrant uh, that type of uh, purse. But um, this is going to be a fairly messy situation. You might see what happens here in the next week and a half. Um, I wanted to go to purse bid to see if they actually do try to put up uh, a purse bid for uh, this particular fight. But, you know, some people are saying that, oh, uh, Tyson Fury is reluctant to fight Dylan White uh, for the WBC heavyweight title, uh, that there were, like, suggestions that uh, Tyson Fury would fight in the interim, like, fight uh, fight without the WBC title on the line, and maybe the WBC would allow it. But I just think it's just like a whole mess uh, there uh, with that um, thing with Tyson Fury and Dylan White. And what, what makes it interesting is that if Tyson Fury, by any chance, would relinquish the WBC title, it would become vacant and it would be a fight or could be a fight with the two top remaining contenders out there in the WBC, which would be Dylan White and Deontay Wilder. So it could be a possibility that Deontay Wilder could have a shot to win the WBC championship once again by facing Dylan White. And that would be something, but I don't even know if that fight's going to happen either because, uh, Deontay Wilder gets a good amount of money himself, and they might not say that, hey, Dylan White, you don't deserve to get no $5 million in this particular fight. But who knows? That remains to be seen. But I just think that that particular uh, thing is a, is a, a little bit of a mess uh, there. But that's kind of like what I'm seeing there in that WBC heavyweight title division thing. Uh, what, or whatever goes on with uh, Tyson Fury and Dylan White. Um, boxing Academic, 
What do you think about a potential fight between Fury and Dylan White? Well, um, I actually think Dylan White's style could make it interesting against Fury because Dylan White will try to stay in his chest, will throw uh, overhand shots, and, you know, the overhand shots will potentially land. Well, they probably won't land because Tyson Fury is slippery, but the potential for them to land is is like higher. The fact that you got a taller guy and you're throwing overhand shots and your overhands are literally landing right on his chin or right on his nose. Um, I mean, Tyson Fury could probably outbox him and stay on the outside, but I think the way that Dylan White fights, it could be interesting in the way that he throws his shots and, and sort of like, you know, like his pressure-ish style. And, you know, Tyson Fury has had trouble with, with styles like that, where, where, you know, somebody pressured him, was in his chest. Uh, when Like, for example, when Cunningham fought him. So, yeah, it might be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I... I don't know how the thing will like kind of like turn out because, you know, it's it's just like um, it's like Tyson Fury. <laughs> it's like he's being Tyson Fury again, you know, because a lot of one of the biggest criticisms of Tyson Fury was that, you know, he'll have a fight where he has a big fight, a big win, and then all of a sudden. Uh, you know, after that, he just goes into a uh, disappearing mode or whatever it is. Uh, but you know, at least in, in this particular instance, it's like, uh, you know, maybe you know, he wants to um go, go forward and try to have this uh, particular fight. But, um, thing about it is, is like, uh, you know. I'm not sure, like how this is going to, uh, you know, uh, turn out. Uh, the WBC, you know, is still going through a little situation uh, there with uh, Dylan White because Dylan White uh, did have like a lawsuit against the WBC, and that there, well, it looks like they're going through arbitration proceedings uh, there. So, um, you know, the thing about it is, is like. Um, Bob Arum from Top Rank had, you know, claimed that uh, Dylan White was asking for an upwards of $10 million for a fight against Tyson Fury. You know, um, the thing is, is like that's way too much of a asking price uh, there, especially if it looks like that report of uh, 80 uh, percent 20 percent uh is the case because then that would potentially mean that you know tyson fury would fight for 40 million dollars in a fight against dylan white and this is after him having two fights with deontay wilder where he earned uh reported 25 million uh for that second fight and then 30 million uh for the third fight against deontay wilder so uh, after those two fights, would they think that he would uh, kind of get forty million 
in a fight against Dylan White? I'm not sure about that. Um, you know, Bob Merrim also like claimed that uh, Fury could pursue a non-title fight uh, against the likes of maybe uh, Robert Hellenius, uh, who did, you know, defeat Adam Kalnaki in that uh, Fury Wilder 300 card. Or Andy Ruiz, who, you know, was coming back from, you know, his uh, leg injury, uh, did have his win over Chris Ariola last year. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll see, like, how that uh, kind of, like, situates them itself. Because, like, like I said, in, in a week, in pretty much like in a week and a half, the, the uh, purse bid is supposed to be next Thursday. Not this, I mean, not Thursday, but next Tuesday, um, January 11th. Uh, but, you know, we'll see how, how that kind of like turns itself out uh, there, given that, you know, Matchroom is pretty much the rival promotional company to Queensberry Promotions uh, there, who uh, Fury is under through Frank Warren. It's uh, Queensberry Promotions and uh, top rank that co-promotes Tyson Fury there. So that that's going to be a messy situation uh, here in the coming days. But and with that being said, uh, that kind of like covers everything that I wanted to cover here on the Boxing Source radio show here for this particular episode. I thank the Boxing Academic for joining us here uh, this week. And uh, we'll have some more content for you coming up uh, next week, January 9th, scheduled for our next podcast. And uh, like we say at the end of every show, folks, the point of boxing is to hit and not to hit. Not to stand and trade on that note, folks. I'm out. Have a good evening, everybody.